0: Are you ready to turn your investments into retirement income? Listen in as Jeremy Kyle and his guests reveal ways you can make smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions to achieve your ideal retirement. You will learn more about your money so you can feel better about your money and make better money decisions. Now, on to the show.
1: Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into a consistent income. And we're pleased to have on a guest, Emily Guy-Burkin, Birkin, who is an, an author. I'm going to call her a money writer. And uh, it turns out we uh, basically should have been long lost friends because <laughs> here we are in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we have very a lot of common connections uh, in Maryland. So mm-hmm. welcome mm-hmm. to Milwaukee. I don't know who got here first, me or you. I was back in 2003.
2: Oh, gosh, 2016. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I
1: guess I'll be the old timer. Welcome to Milwaukee then. Thank you. <laughs> well, and I said you're a, a money writer. How did
2: you become a money writer? I like to tell people that I tripped and fell backwards into writing about money. I'm actually an English teacher by training. I have a master's degree in English education, and I taught high school English for four years, but I'm really great at timing. And by that, I mean, I'm terrible at it. So my husband accepted a new job in 2010 at the same time that I was pregnant with my first child who was due at the beginning of the following school year. So that meant we were moving and I was going to be, um, if I tried to get a job for that first year, I would have had to immediately go on maternity leave. Not good in teacher world. Not so much good. So uh, I knew there wasn't going to be anyone who like you can't legally not hire me for that reason. But no one was going to hire me for that reason, and neither would I. So the original plan was I was going to take one year off and and stay home with the baby. But also because we're great at timing, we put our house in. We were in Columbus, Ohio at the time. Put our house in Columbus on the market weeks after the first time homebuyer credit. Expire. Got it. Yep. <laughs> so it took us 11 months to sell the house. So and you weren't a money writer yet. I so you didn't know money- about that stuff. I did not. Yes. And so, like, I kind of had a vague sense that that was something. I was like, oh, maybe it'll help us and didn't realize that it was expiring. Nothing. So we went from two people in the household to three, two incomes to one, and one mortgage to two. So just excellent timing on, on our part, all, all around. So uh, I wanted to get a little bit of money coming in while I was staying home. I've always been a writer. I was a, an English major in college um, with an emphasis in creative writing. And so I was like, okay, I could freelance and you know just get a little bit of money coming in, help with all of this added financial pressure. And originally I was thinking typical freelancer stuff writing about travel, food, parenting, education, you know those things. But one of the very first, gigs that I landed was for a website called ptmoney.com. And I was like, oh, I think I could do this. Now, that does sound like it came completely out of left field, like you know, English teacher, all of a sudden money. The background information is that my dad was a financial planner. So I grew up in the industry and I've always been a money nerd, although I didn't really think of myself that way at the time. I just thought, you know kind of did a lot of money navel gazing about my own financial choices and i realized even as a kid that yeah of me and my sister and my cousin i was the only one who didn't get glassy eyed when dad would talk about what he did so i was like all right i can i can teach myself i understand how to research and this is stuff i'm interested in and it worked out great so pt money loved my work passed my name along to his friends and then pt who's the person behind ptmoney.com started the financial blogger conference FinCon in 2011. And he said, you should come to this. And so at first I was like, I don't know. Do I really want to be a money writer? And then I was like, what is wrong with me? People want to pay me to write. Why am I quibbling about what it's about? So I went to the conference and it just kind of kept the ball rolling. And here I am, it'll be 12 years in November since I started this journey. Um, And I am a Full fledged financial writer. I'm known in the industry um, and I have five books under my belt at this point, which blows my mind. I don't know how that happens.
1: Yeah, to say that, I'm, I'm, the word just doesn't do it justice, <laughs> but you're not just a money writer, not just a freelancer anymore, but you've got a, a few books. And mm-hmm. our hope today is to talk about two of those books specifically. Mm-hmm. Our audience is people that are getting ready for retirement. Mm-hmm. And so your one book is perfect the five years before you retire. Mm-hmm. So we're going to spend some time on that. And then you've got your newest book called "Stacked," your super serious guide to modern money management. And who doesn't need to get super serious about money? (laughs) And who doesn't need to work on the modern version of Mm -hmm, money? Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of times there's myths or just different things that you you hear Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. could have been the case years and years ago. I remember my dad telling me several things. As one of them being, uh, you can only refinance your mortgage if the rates drop one percent. And I'm thinking, okay, that's that's. Might have had some truth at some point Mm -hmm. because of, you know, differentials and rates. But it's just interesting. And I think you should refinance your mortgage if you do a spreadsheet and Mm -hmm. the math works out, right? (laughs) But, you know, different approaches. Mm -hmm. And so here we're going to talk about those things, but let's talk about the five years before you retire. Retirement planning when you need it most, I think is your tagline. Mm-hmm. I, it's mm-hmm. exactly it. There's a lot of places. Um, I forget the company. I think it's Prudential might be that talks about the retirement red zone. Mm-hmm. They probably have trademarks. So thank you for Prudential. For, <laughs> we'll, we'll throw a team at the end, <laughs> end of that. But they talk about how the five years before you retire, the five years after retirement are the biggest risk to your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, He's called the retirement researcher. Mm-hmm. Wade Fowle is his name. And he did a study on how each year leading up into retirement and each year in retirement, how that's affecting your risk. Mm-hmm. And the day you retire is basically the riskiest financial day of your life. Like your, your risk triples mm-hmm. the day you retire. So definitely planning ahead of that that big day is huge. And so your you're five years, you must be great at numbers here because you've got five years before you retire. You have five things in there. Maximize your current investments, secure healthcare for the future, Capitalize on pre-retirement opportunities, protect your assets, and strategize for the life you deserve. And let's just let's do that middle one. Capitalize on pre-retirement opportunities. What should people be looking for to do that?
2: So before you retire is the best time to be thinking about what retirement is going to look like. Uh, you know, so often people are focused on that finish line. And uh, so if they're thinking about retirement, uh, because a lot of people aren't even like the part of the reason why I wanted to write the five years before you retire is because that's when you start thinking like, oh, this is really happening. Oh, no. (laughs) What do I do? So, you know, that pre-retirement is such an important timeframe because it's a time for you to road test some ideas of things that you want to do with your time after retirement. So if you're thinking about more than just money, you're thinking about like, how are you going to spend your time? Where are you going to live? What you're going to be focusing on in those few years after retirement. So, and that's very, very important and something that tends to be neglected often by typical financial advice because they're so focused on the money, which it needs to be focused on, but your your life's much more than that. So there's that. Then there is the the financial aspect of it in pre-retirement, thinking about, like, are you using rules of thumb for figuring out how much you're going to need to live on, or are you actually crunching the numbers? Because I think rules of thumb are a good way to get into these conversations and get into crunching the numbers. But a lot of times people just Rely on them as like, oh, okay, I'm going to be fine because I'm going to have 70% of my income replaced post retirement. Well, like, well, is 70% of your income going to be sufficient? Is it going to be way too much? Do you have any idea? You know, like, you really need to be thinking about like, what's your, your, Typical day, week, month, year going to look like in retirement, and how much is that going to cost? What ways are you going to be saving money by no longer working? Um, now, in the post-COVID world, a lot of the uh, the savings um, you don't necessarily see anymore because so many people are working from home. So, you know, it used to be you could say like, "Oh, you're going to save so much on wear and tear on your car and commuting and gas prices. You're going to save on what's your you know your work wardrobe." Whereas I, that's fifty percent savings these days because you only have to dress up right. from the waist exactly up, it. <laughs> In pajama pants on the bottom, you know, suit up top. But there are other ways that retiring will save you money. So how is that going to be folded into uh, what your financial life is going to look like post-retirement? And so those five years are really good time to be thinking about those things when you still have time to pivot. If you realize, oh, I'm not going to have enough, or if you realize, oh, what I had planned isn't going to work for this reason or that reason, or if life throws a wrench in the works and, you know, God forbid you lose a spouse in those few years before retirement, or, you know, you've got an elderly parent who needs your help in those five years before retirement, or, you know, any of those sorts of things, that's the time where you can start thinking about, like, where are my flexibilities in my plan? You can start thinking about what is it I really want to be doing and moving towards instead of it just being like get to the finish line. So I'm not working anymore. Cause I just don't want to do this anymore. And it, it can be very affirming to do all of this, but people often put it off because it's also can feel overwhelming.
1: Yeah. And I like how you focus on all the kind of non-money things. And yet the money is what helps create mm-hmm. all those non-money things that are out there. I, I hear from people come in our office and asking us what we do and how we can help them with retirement. They tell me that a lot of the other advisors are saying, basically they walk into their other advisor's office. They say, well, how much do you have and how much do you want to spend? And their answer to both of them is, I don't know. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know they've got 401ks all over the place. They have pensions on social security. They don't know what to, to do with. And then they really don't track their spending. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if you did track your spending, I, I tell people I don't believe any budget that's ever walked to my door. Because even the ones, and it's rare, it's like one out of a hundred, somebody will come in with a mint.com or a QuickBooks mm-hmm. kind of thing. And they say, I've got my spending all figured out for the last two years and i've averaged it out and things like that so wonderful what's your taxes and your health care look like mm-hmm. and they have no idea mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. even the people that are down to the penny are missing out on two of their biggest expenses mm-hmm. that are out there mm-hmm. and this, this whole thing is 70 percent of your income I think it's a hundred percent of your spending.
2: Yes. <laughs> it's what it, you should
1: be planning for. And there's another uh, guest that we had on earlier. He said, before you retire, it's like your income drives your financial picture, mm-hmm. but after you retire, it's your expenses mm-hmm. drives your mm-hmm. financial picture. So even spending, you know, 40 years thinking of your income and how that affects your money decisions. And then all of a sudden there's a switch you flip and it's your expenses. So mm-hmm. focusing on that spending and maybe even more important, what do you want to do uh, with that spending is, is... The way to go.
2: Yes. It's uh one of the things that I I really loved about how my dad conducted his business as a financial planner. Uh he would tell the story about when he was very young and early in the business. There was a guy who was a like rock star and you know everybody knew him. Um, and who had like, you know, so many clients and he had so many assets under management. And he found out the way that he did it was he had five conference rooms um and he had his clients line up, you know, in each one. Like you have all his assistants take care of that. And then he'd just go boom, 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 at like 10, 20 minutes with each one. Oh my goodness. And my dad said, like once he learned that, he was no longer enamored of of how this guy operated. Because within the first 10 to 20 minutes, my dad hadn't hadn't yet finished looking at his clients' grandchildren pictures and sure, right? you know, and talking about how things were going. Because for my dad, it was very much about this is about your life. We want to figure out how you can afford the life that you want. And so if you come at it from the money angle, you're going to miss out on the life aspect. And what I really appreciate about that viewpoint is that it means that you can find a way to have the life that you want, even if the money isn't there in the way that you want it to be there. Something that I kind of recommend people do um, i talk about in five years before you retire is think of what your plan b retirement would look like what's the least you'd need on a daily month weekly monthly and yearly basis to feel satisfied with your life and i base that partially on a story that a friend of mine told me um my friend for a little while worked uh, she's it's Completely understandable why she did this because she's now she's now an Episcopal priest. But she uh, she worked going into the homes of elderly patients who you know just needed companionship and stuff like that. And so this lovely lady, Miss Audrey, had her husband. She and her husband had had uh, some terrible luck with finances. And at the time that my friend knew her, Audrey was living in a group home for adults in very reduced circumstances, and it was not what she and her husband had planned. But Audrey was actually pretty content with her life because she had friends in, in the group home. She had three meals a day. She had a roof over her head and she was an avid reader and she was able to go to the public library three, four times a week and get the books that she wanted. And she's like, this is all I need. And uh, I remember Erica telling me this story and I just kind of moved by it, by the fact that like, if you know what truly you need, then you can have a satisfying life. Even if from anyone looking from the outside going like, "Oh, that's grim," and I'm not saying that's uh, you know, I'm glad that that's what happened to Audrey. I, I I would wish that she had had better luck financially, but she and her husband hadn't done anything wrong. Things just happened, you know, life got in the way. I think they they lost quite a bit in the dot com bubble, and it, things didn't go the way they'd planned, but. She made the most of it and that's where I think it's important to start with your life and what you want rather than start with the money because if you start with the money and something goes wrong with the money, you'll feel like you failed. Whereas if you start with your life and you have to adjust your expectations, you can always feel like you succeeded.
1: It's Jeremy Kyle here and I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our 5-Step Retirement Plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com. Use the number or spell it out. You'll get there either way. 5stepretirementplan.com. Thanks for listening. And now for the rest of the show. Yeah, that's right on it. I love that story. I love how you draw it all together. And of course I mentioned there's five parts of your book capitalized on pre-retirement opportunities is one of them, but I think he's talked more about strategize for life you deserve, which is great because <laughs> it just shows how everything's interconnected mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. on there. That really, you got this idea of road testing, some ideas. I'm thinking of a few people I meet that are getting ready to retire. And well, even my father-in-law, he had 12 weeks of vacation before he retired because mm-hmm. he had been at the same union job for 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know, you can kind of test drive Retirement Mm -hmm. and there's you'd be surprised at how much flexibility there is. Where Mm -hmm. if employer wants to keep you and you've been a good employee, you know, ask them. Hey, could I take off a month unpaid? Even Mm -hmm. you know, just Mm -hmm. try it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's people I talk to and they just moved to Florida, kind of because that's what they've always wanted to do. Like, how about renting in Florida for a month or Mm -hmm. in Arizona? for a month first, just to try it out. That's, I like the idea of road testing. That's a good way. To
2: well, go. and that's really helpful, particularly if you're deciding to relocate, because um, if you're, you're going to Florida or Arizona, you've probably only been there at the times when it's most pleasant to be there. Like you go there, you know, over Christmas, um, you know, from Wisconsin to, to, to Miami. Wow. This is the greatest ever. If you've never been in Miami in August it may not be what you want. You, I mean, there's a reason why there are snowbirds. Um, and similar to other other places where um, if people want to retire abroad or anything like that, it's really helpful to road test it for like a month in the off season when you're going to be dealing with the things that you don't get when you're just visiting.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's get super serious now and let's give, uh, <laughs> give people some modern money management. And you wrote this with somebody else. How was that to write a book? I guess, co-author it versus mm-hmm. on your own.
2: So um, Joe Salcihai is the podcaster behind Stacking Benjamins, and uh, he and I have known each other for nearly 10 years and have been friends for, for a long time. We just kind of have similar senses of humor. Joe has actually been trying to, or had been trying to write a book for 10 years on his own and really was struggling with it. And he had this uh, this realization. He's like, oh... I should ask someone who I know knows how to do this and who gets my sense of humor. And so he reached out to me and said, hey, I've got this book idea. What do you think? And I was delighted. I was very, very excited. I do like to, to to tease and say like, yeah, it was only his third or fourth choice. Sure. <laughs> but uh, so what he wanted to do was create a lighthearted look at finance, which is kind of how he does things on Stacking Benjamins. He wants Stacking Benjamins to be a little bit like, if you remember Click and Clack, uh, the Tappet Brothers on NPR, mm-hmm. where like it was about cars, but It wasn't really, Um, and you learn about cars without realizing it because you're you're laughing. And so he wants it to be similar with money. So what we wanted to do was create a book about finance for people who don't read books about finance. I have had this happen where um, my previous book before Stacked was one called End Financial Stress Now, which was a book that I had for a long time wanted to put together about how we carry stress that's unnecessary. That's not to say that money stress doesn't exist or anything like that, but a lot of times the stress we're carrying has more to do with our own neuroses, our own financial trauma, our own belief system. And if we can just kind of shift the way we look at it a little bit, a lot of that stress falls away and it's easier to make good decisions. So I'd written that book and a friend of mine from college told me that she bought it, but she was terrified to read it. And I was like, oh, honey, why are you scared to read it? And she said, well, I'm afraid it's going to tell me I'm doing everything wrong. And I realized you know, no matter how reassuring a tone I take, I'm not going to reach the people who in some ways most need to read my books who are like have any kind of aversion or or fright about money so i loved the idea of w- working with joe and creating something that was going to be lighthearted that we were going to try to be funny uh, that we we're going to try to like just turn the temperature down on money conversations so it was something that people could feel confidence that, you know, we're not going to shame them. We're not going to make them feel bad about whatever indulgences they spend money on. We're just going to, you know, have some fun and impart a few, a little bit of knowledge and they'll feel better about their money and feel like, you know, and, and close the book with a smile on their face.
1: That's awesome. So the super serious is the joke part, right? It's (laughs) it's the opposite, but yet it, it, comes across or er, it mm-hmm. er, er, brings the point across in the lighthearted way.
2: Yes. Well, and that was uh, uh, the title came about because we 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 called it Stack, which I, after it was all the way to the point of it was almost ready to be published. And I was talking to my sister and I, I you know, about the book and she said something along the lines of, you do know stacked means big boobs, right? <laughs> I was <Of> like, <laughs> yeah, that's why we named it that. But we wanted to have a subtitle that made it clear it was about money and our editor said how about your funny guide to modern money management and and Joe and I both think if you have to say something about yourself it's right. not true there you go. so we're like let's call it the super serious guide and then like we get it both ways like if we're saying it's super serious it's clearly not true <laughs> and then it's also kind of like telegraphing the fact that this is this is not your father's money book
1: <laughs> yeah right that's interesting oh that's great now when you talk about modern modern money management I mean, what's, what's made me different now that we're in the 2020s compared to um, 10 or 15 or mm-hmm. 30 years ago.
2: So the basics of money management are never going to be this never going to change. I mean the the basics, you know, like spend less than you earn, set money aside in, a, in an emergency fund, invest for the future. That's always going to stay the same. The details are where things get different. So for instance, it used to be you could say like just carry cash and then that way you won't spend you know other than what you have in cash well that doesn't work when you've got a you know pocket-sized personal computer that has your uh, your credit card information saved for you you know like that's uh, so just saying just carry cash does, uh, ignores the fact that with a tap of two buttons you can spend untold amounts of money without even getting out of bed so when you get to modern money management it's more about figuring out the ways to outsmart the apps and the algorithms and all of those things that are trying to outsmart us. So, you know, the marketers and the retailers, they know, they have our number. You know, when they say like, "Oh, would you like me to save your your credit card information so you don't have to type it in every time?" That's not a courtesy. That's because they know if you stop and say like, "Oh, I have to go get my wallet" and you get up and you go downstairs and you go like, "Do I really need that mug that I really i've got a whole i i say mug because that's my own weakness i love cute mugs.
1: oh great well now we know
2: <laughs> um so like it gives you a chance to be like i don't need a novelty doctor who mug like why am i even looking at this whereas if you can just click to buy you don't have that momentary like wait why am i doing this that is necessary to kind of stop yourself from spending unnecessary money
1: yeah well i like that idea of forcing yourself to wait somehow Mm -hmm. uh, from the impulse to the the purchase. We were just at the Wisconsin state fair Mm -hmm. and my seven-year-old just enamored with this kinetic sand thing. And it was Mm 20 bucks and you know, $20 is going to make or break my budget, thankfully. And, but we said to her, you know, do you want it? And she spent 20 minutes playing with it. I said, well, let's, let's walk out and see if you want it and we'll buy it for you. We told her, we'll buy it for you if you want it. Mm -hmm. The entire rest of the day, she didn't mention it once. She Mm -hmm. hasn't mentioned it since it's been Mm a week. Mm -hmm. So, clearly she, she didn't want it right. It was just in front of her and, you know, $20 of dad's money is, is like nothing. Mm -hmm, So you might mm -hmm. as well buy it right away, but that's just a great lesson for all of us to try to separate some distance between your thoughts and impulse. And when you actually click purchase.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. We, we're impulsive creatures and, um, we are not actually built for the the world we live in where like we've got information coming at us at all times and you know there's there's this constant barrage of opportunities to spend money very easily without feeling it at all one of the things they talk about is uh, and the reason why the the uh, suggestion was to carry cash is that for most people there's a psychological pain experience when you pay with cash because you can actually feel the loss of the money from your wallet um, and there is no such psychological pain with credit card because it's just numbers on a screen at best. I mean, and that's if you're checking in on it. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just like swiping a swiping a piece of plastic. It doesn't feel like it means anything. So recognizing your weaknesses, in this modern world, is is really important, and figuring out ways to kind of outsmart your own lizard brain, so that you have that that pause, that moment in between when you have an impulse and when you act on it.
1: Right. Well, then even making use of that, where you talked about investing or building an emergency fund, you can set that up automatically. Right. You only have to think of it once. If you have to think of it every single week, am I going to put money into my emergency fund or into my investments or not? you're not going to hit every single week, mm-hmm. but if you just make the decision one time and set it up automatically, then you can use that, I guess, impulsiveness. So go, go be impulsive and go uh, start a Roth IRA, I mm-hmm. guess is the, is mm-hmm. the, the lesson here. But when it comes to spending, do the opposite.
2: Well, you want to, uh, you want to reduce friction for the good decisions. Right. And that's yeah. what that that's doing. And you want to increase friction for the impulsive, you know, not necessarily beneficial for your bottom line decisions. Uh, and, uh, and that's, that's something so like if you increase the friction and you know you have to get up and get your wallet then you can say like no i really do want that doctor who novelty mug <laughs> or, yeah. or whatever it is instead of it just being habitual and then i love that you can reduce the friction um i mean that is one of the benefits of being in the modern world is that um you have the ability to be a small time investor, and you know, like okay, I can set ten dollars a week recurring to go into my Roth IRA, which would not have been possible back in the eighties, nineties, maybe even the two thousands. So, and that's something that's that's um, really exciting about living in the time that we do. You can make small amounts of money work for you in a way that you, that you couldn't before.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, what's uh, what's one other takeaway you got from writing the book, or you want people to hear?
2: I think that's. Uh, Owning and acknowledging your mistakes is really, really beneficial. Uh, So Joe and I both, in writing the book, wanted to make sure that we were open and honest about the ways that we've screwed up with money. Particularly since so many financial books seem like they're finger wagging, like "Oh, how dare you! You you, mm-hmm. you should have been perfect," and so you want to make it clear nobody's perfect. And you know we're writing the, this book, and we're both money experts, but we are not perfect. And then finding a way to laugh about it. Uh, so my the the story that I tell is objectively funny. Uh, when I was twenty two, I think twenty two or twenty three, I got a, an ill advised tattoo. <laughs> Um, my grandmother passed away and I was, I very much was very close with her and, um, was just grieving about it. Um, she passed away about two weeks after I had broken up with this complete jabroni and I had (laughs) cried over the, the, the idiot I'd broken up with. And then my grandmother died and I was like, Oh, I I shouldn't, I shouldn't waste my tears on something as ridiculous as that, that relationship that didn't matter. I should save it for, for like my grandmother. So I, I Impulsively got a hundred and fifty dollar teardrop tattoo, stylized teardrop tattoo on my my shoulder, and within less than ten minutes of walking out of the of the tattoo parlor, I was like, "What did I just do?" I'd not only gotten permanent body modification, I'd blown a huge hole in my my early twenty something budget. And like hundred and fifty dollars meant I was going to be doing uh, tuna fish and crackers and ramen for for the month because that that was coming out of my grocery budget, and. Uh, to to make matters worse, about six or eight months later, I learned that a teardrop tattoo in gangland means that you've murdered someone. Oh, so course. my tattoo indicated that I'd offed my own grandma. Well, yeah. You know. <laughs> so, and the thing is, I felt very ashamed about that for a very yeah. long time. But once I got to the point where I could like laugh about it, it is objectively funny. Yeah. <laughs> that I went through this whole thing, <laughs> and. Added to that, the fact that my grandmother would be horrified to know that I got a tattoo in her honor. She would not have appreciated that at all helps me to kind of let go of that that feeling of like, oh, I made a huge mistake. You know, I'm not saying it wasn't a mistake, but you know what? It's just part of learning how to navigate these things, part of understanding how my impulsiveness shows up. Um, You know, I tend to be impulsive when it comes to ways of like showing my love. And, Helped me to understand that, uh, you know, even if you're pretty darn good with money, you can make a doozy of a mistake that has lifelong consequences. I mean, it's not lifelong financial consequences, but, you know, I still have the tattoo. And, And that's okay. You can bounce back from it. And I wanted to make sure that the readers understood that no matter what their mistake is, there's a way to find some humor in it and you can bounce back from it and you don't have to hold on to any shame about having made that mistake.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that and being vulnerable. (laughs) And also, you clearly have forgiven yourself for that mistake. And some people don't forgive themselves Mm -hmm. for mistakes, which kind of dooms them to keep repeating it. You know, if you think, oh my goodness, I should have bought the stock or I should not have bought this car that turned into a lemon. You know, if you keep ruminating on that, mm-hmm. you're you're not going to be able to take the next opportunity. And of course, you're using it as a great example in your book, which is uh making best use of an opportunity. That's for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, good. Well, we're going to have links to all your books that are in there in the show notes. But how, how should people get in touch with you if they're looking to find out more or, or need your help with writing uh, about money?
2: You can uh, you can reach me at my website. It's emilyguyberkin.com. And you can also find me on Twitter. My handle is at Emily Guy Birkin. That's also my handle for Instagram at Emily Guy Birkin, and then uh, Facebook um, is Author Emily Guy Birkin. So those are all great ways to reach out to me.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And Emily and Guy are uh, quite normally spelled, I believe. Yes. And Birkin is B-I-R-K-E-N. Right? Yes. So all not right.
2: like the handbag.
1: That's right. There you go. <laughs> that's awesome. Which could you could? I'm sure you've turned that into some sort of. Well, article. if you I, haven't you need to
2: I, I i remember I wrote about Veblen goods at one point so which Birkin bags definitely are those are those are things that um they uh their price is part of their very high price is part of what makes people want them but I maintain that Birkin bags is spelled wrong so
1: that's right <laughs> well all my uh- economics friends, appreciate you talking about Veblen Goods. And I'm a, uh, I'm a physics major, you are an English writer, mm-hmm. and here we are both in the finance world. So I appreciate you talking about friction earlier as well, too. So it's great. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Emily, for coming on the show. It's been a blast and I encourage everyone to go check out your books and uh, send me an email. Actually, just go to jeremy at kylefp.com, J-E-R-E-M-Y at K-E-I-L-F-P.com First three people that email me, I'll be sending out uh, one of Emily's books to you. Let me know which one you prefer, the five years before you retire or Stacked your super serious guide to modern money management. So love to hear from you and uh, we'll get down some books, uh, some of Emily's books out to you guys. Thank you. Yeah, good. And thank you for listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you will feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions. Thank you for listening to the
0: Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit retirement-revealed.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is a part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.